If you have your Bibles tonight, the book of Mark is on our heart. The book of Mark, chapter number one. We've been preaching in a series considered treasures from the book of Mark. And tonight we'll try to limit ourselves to two or three verses. Uh, We're going to preach tonight on this thought, counseling with his doctrine. It begins in verse number 21 and 22. And if you think about it, Jesus has just called his disciples. He's called four of them in verses 16 through 20. And verse 21 says, and they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. That's what we're going to read tonight, Lord willing, but let's just spend a day with Jesus. Ah, let's spend a Sabbath day with Jesus. From verses 21 all the way down through 34 is just one Sabbath day with Jesus. And there's so much stuff here, we'll not even be able to preach it all in one sitting. I think, number one tonight, we should look at the advancement. Now, the disciples that have just been called by Jesus, they go with him into a village called Capernaum. That is the village of Nahum. It means the village of compassion. Uh, Capernaum is centrally located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Capernaum is a business center, a a commerce center. It is a a place of uh, military soldiers coming in and out. There are thousands and thousands of people in that locale, but we also know it's a very densely populated place, but it's also a dark place in that it is a sinful region. It is in this city, Capernaum, that Jesus will establish his headquarters, the focus or the center of his ministry on earth will come out of that little village called Capernaum. That's where he's going to locate amongst the sinners in that region. In fact, we won't turn there, but I'm going to quote it. Matthew 9, 1 says, he entered into a ship and he passed over. That's passing over the Sea of Galilee and quote, he came into his own city, end of quote. Not speaking of Bethlehem, not speaking of Nazareth, but speaking of Capernaum. To Jesus, Capernaum was a strategic place. To Jesus, Bethel, Spruce Pine, is a strategic place. To Jesus, Balfour Baptist Church on July 13, 1978, was a strategic place where he found me and he saved me that night. So he's, the advancement is to a strategic place. Now watch, he's on a straight path. They came, they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught straightway. What does that mean? Immediately. We see that Jesus has ceaseless activity. He didn't let the grass grow under his feet much. Believe me, and, and he's got a pressing drive. He's, he's got a fast-paced life. He's, he's losing no time moving forward. We, we at Bethel, we need to lose no time advancing the message and the ministry of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to keep pressing forward. Now, he has Sabbath plans on that Sabbath day. He entered into the synagogue 
and he taught. What is the Sabbath day? It's the seventh day. What's the seventh day? The seventh day is Saturday. Not Sunday. It's Saturday. On the seventh day, the Lord God rested from all the creation that he had made. And he said, keep the Sabbath holy. And the Lord Jesus, uh, fulfilling the law, was keeping the Sabbath holy. And on the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, uh, he entered into the synagogue to teach. Now you may say, Preacher Darren, I have a question then. Why do we worship now on Sunday? Why do we worship on the first day of the week? Well, I don't know if you've realized this or not, but Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried. On the Sabbath day, he was still in the grave. But on the first day of the week, he arose. Victorious over death, hell, and the grave, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath, and now we live under grace, and we meet on the first day of the week to every Sunday celebrate his resurrection. Every Sunday, Brother Seth, ought to be Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Amen? So just think about that. Now, he goes to the synagogue. What's the synagogue? It is a structure, it is a building where the local people, mostly Jews, will attend to worship and pray. Now, what did he preach it in? They're supposed to go to the temple. Yes, so many times a year they go to the temple in Jerusalem. But they're in Capernaum. It's a long a walk, it's a long track. They can't go every week to the temple. So they built a synagogue. It was similar like a church building that they could go and they could hear the word of God. Now, all the surrounding areas had synagogues, a local house of assembly. And they were a house of much activity. On the Sabbath, they were coming in to worship. But did you know on the weekdays that they used them as a school? To train, what about that? To train the children? To teach them about the things of God? Did you also know that there were times it was used as a minor court where cases would come in and they would be settled in the house of God? Well, that's pretty incredible too, don't you think? Now, on the, on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, they did three things. They, they would worship, they would pray, and they would have someone to teach. The teacher would take a text from one of the five books of the law. Then he would take a text from the, the prophets, maybe the minor prophets, or Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, Daniel, some of the minor prophets. And then he might read some scripture from the Psalms, the Proverbs, and then he would stand up and he would begin to teach the word of God to those that were there. And the ruler over the synagogue would ask someone, if not himself, to be the speaker. Jesus was invited that day to be the speaker in the house of the Lord. What's he doing? When he got there, the Bible says he taught them. He expounded the word of God to them. He explained the word of God. He began to exposit, to exhort, to encourage, to enlighten those in attendance about the word of God. He presented a straightforward exposition of the scripture. He was a Bible teacher. No, no empty religious talk, no, no worldly clatter. He didn't take a survey of the people and say, what do you think I need to talk about next? Honey, he stood up and taught the word of God. And at Bethel, we are, just like Jesus, supposed to teach and proclaim the word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. On Jesus' first day in Capernaum, 
he went in to the synagogue and he taught the word of God. We're to advance the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do as well. We're to advance the gospel in the church, in the classroom, in the home, in the marketplace, in the world in which we live. Preach and teach, proclaim the world. That's our job. Number two, when he did this, look at the astonishment. Verse 22. And they were astonished at his doctrine. The word astonished means they were stricken out of their senses. It means they were shocked. They were stunned. Let me give you a modern day version of what astonished means. He blew their minds. He blew their minds, man. When he got up and began to proclaim the gospel, they were like, open mouth, drop jaw. They, they could not believe what they were hearing. Why? Because the Bible says he taught them as one that had authority, not as the scribes. Now this crowd, like many of you, has sat through a lifetime of sermons, but never one like this. <laughs> you see those scribes, they were a professional experts in the law. They, they knew how to teach, and how to instruct, how to interpret from the law. Sabbath after Sabbath, the scribes would stand up and minister the word. But here's the problem. They departed from the authority of the scriptures. And they started giving you a rendering of secondhand opinions. They started giving you what was politically correct. They started teaching and quoting from the other scribes that were there. They had a great colleagues that were in the system. And that's what they were interested in doing. And when Jesus got up, when he mounted the pulpit, his manner and his message filled with no worldly clatter, he taught and commanded as one having authority. The scribes taught their man-made rules. The scribes taught their homespun regulations. The scribes taught their petty legalistic requirements. They were twisting, they were augmenting their philosophies and their insights. But Jesus taught them as one having authority. Let's think about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's see it in Matthew chapter five. Go back there with me. Matthew chapter five. I want you to see what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter five, verse 21. We'll look at three examples. There are more. There are so many. But I want you to see how Jesus taught authority. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Verse 22. But I say unto you, y'all to underline that in your Bible. I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, you hear his authority? Look with me again in verse 27. This is the second one I want you to see. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 28. But... I say unto you 
that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Woo! Where's my amens now? Jesus taught them as one having authority. Straightforward exposition, correct doctrine, right interpretation. He's not meddling around. He's telling you how God wants it taught. And the crowd was shocked. They were stunned. Let's look at another. There's so many of these. Let's look at verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Gets quiet every time when the authority of Jesus comes out. I don't know that we really want him to preach straightforward to us, amen. But I say unto you, and their mouths fell open. They were astonished. They were amazed. They'd never heard this content. They'd never seen this command. They've never heard truth presented just like this. May I say it like this? Jesus spoke truth while the scribes gave their corrupt and evasive reasoning. Jesus presented great matters of significance, life, death, and eternity, while the scribes wasted their time with trivialities. Jesus preached with structure while the scribes rambled on and on and on with their tradition of men's. Honey, I'll be honest tonight. I'm not interested in coming in just preaching to you another sermon. I want you to hear something tonight that would cause you to be helped and to cause you to be exhorted and to cause you to be edified and to cause Jesus to be exalted. That has been our prayer for tonight. Jesus excited their curiosity because when he got in the pulpit, he preached with passion. The scribes were dry as dust. Now don't tell me that you've not heard some dry as dust windbags like myself get up from time to time and ramble on and on and on. I ought to got at least one amen right. I'll amen myself. Jesus spoke as a lover of men, but the scribes spoke as lovers of themselves. Jesus spoke with authority while the scribes spoke with the, and with the fallibility of men as their source. I just want to say this, and I'll move off. Oh, how we need the full counsel of the Word of God dealing with the issues of our life. I grew up in church. My daddy's a preacher. I love him dearly. But I can tell you the first time I ever heard Percy Ray preach. Something about his preaching, something about the way he stood in that pulpit, he had a gift of God, the Holy Ghost, anointing him. I can still tell you messages that he preached. The night I felt a conviction and got saved. His most famous, if you've never heard it, his most famous message, the red light of hell. Look it up, listen to that one. I can tell you, J. Harold Smith, sermon after sermon after sermon and God's three deadlines. Something about those men. And J. J. Harold said, when I get in the pulpit and preach, Lord, would you... Give me a good one and keep people on the edge of their seat and don't let them sit there yawning. Lord, 
Would you save sinners? God, would you encourage people? And I'll never forget men like that that preached the word of God to me. And I'm telling you, there are people in your life, men you've heard preach, that right now you could say, I can tell you what he preached on. I can tell you where I was. I can tell you what I was going through. I can still remember three of the points. It's incredible how the word of God, we need someone to teach and proclaim the word of God to us with such passion and such clarity that it makes a difference in their lives. I can still hear their voices reminding me of the message, pointing me to Jesus Christ. There they are, advancing the gospel. And as he's advancing the gospel to a strategic place, there are people listening going. And the next thing you know, he's preached two hours and you look down at your watch and you thought it ain't been 10 minutes. You ever been in services like that? And it's almost like, say something else. Give me, I need more, I want more of this. And it just gives you just enough to come back the next time. That's what I need. There's an old farmer, I, I was turning to a preacher out in the Midwest, and it had a big snowstorm. And uh, only one man came to hear the man, the preacher preach. And he said, well, I don't know if I should preach. There's only one person here. And he said, well, he said, in the snow, I still go out and give hay to my cattle. He said, so you need to get up there and preach. And he did, he preached an hour and a half going on two hours. And when it was over, he went to the man, he said, what do you think? He said, well, I still feed my cattle in the snow, but I don't give them the whole bell. <laughs> hey, man, preachers. Look at the next verse. Just want to bring it up. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Thirdly, and I'm done. The adversary. While the word of God is being taught, a man with an unclean spirit cried out. This is what that means. You can be sure wherever, whenever the truth of the word of God is being preached, it raises the ire of the devil. Can you just imagine Jesus preaching the astonishment and the amazement of the people and somebody jumps up and interrupts him. I saw this week someone interrupted our president and he told him to sit down. You heard about it too. This man stood up and interrupted Jesus' preaching. It's not as much the man as who's in the man. It is an unclean spirit. This Look, this unclean spirit is not in the den of iniquity. This unclean spirit is not at the drunkard's party. This unclean spirit is not at the harlot's quarters. This unclean spirit is in the synagogue where they were worshiping and teaching where Jesus had just walked in there. No doubt this man had been there for many a week Probably many a year. You know why the devil could take and make such a foothold in the house of worship? Because a dead, dry, empty religion. I know for a fact that there are some in the occult and they will send two representatives to church and sit in church to see what opposition they may feel or face in the community where they have their occult set up. I've had them walk in here. It has happened. Very well versed on it. And you know what I did? I preached 
the gospel of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and pray that the Holy Ghost would convict them of their sins. This unclean spirit is an agent of Satan. He is there to possess and to take up residence and empower individuals. Now, I don't want really, I don't, I'm really getting into more than I want to here. But when, let me say this. When you have straightforward preaching, it will confront the enemy. It will, and I'm gonna tell you something. When you come to church, it can be the most dangerous place you come all week. And I'm not talking because of gun laws and guns. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying there's a spiritual battle and it's taking place while I'm preaching tonight. There is a warfare, youngest, that's going on and we need to pray for one another and support one another and say, get them, Holy Ghost. Let Jesus have his way. There's a war going on. Hold your place. Ephesians chapter six. I want you to read about it. Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. I think it's verse number 12 I want to read to you. If you don't already have it marked in your Bible, please do so. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. The previous verse says, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not Jesus against this man. It's Jesus against an unclean spirit. It is good versus evil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. When the truth of the scripture is preached, it will challenge lifeless religion and a cataclysmic collision is gonna take place and I pray to God you'll have a front row seat. Because I'm telling you, when light penetrates the darkness, the darkness has to leave. When light shines and invades the darkness, the darkness is defeated. Jesus is preaching the truth of the word of God and you would have never thought that the devil would have a stronghold in the synagogue. But the reason he's got it is because in that place, the truth is being suppressed from the people that need to hear it. I'm interested. I'm interested tonight that Jesus comes into Capernaum where there's darkness and a place and he knew, he knew Jesus was not surprised. He, you know why he went there? He went not only to preach the word but he went to reach the lost. He knew this man was in that condition. That's why he went to that exact uh, synagogue that day. That crowd in that synagogue, Jesus knew. He knew when he got there that they had religion without repentance. He knew that they had rituals without regeneration. He knew they had uh, regulations Without relationship with God, they were dead, dry, and empty. Now, I'm gonna tell you something. The devil, I'm gonna tell you, he goes to church. He would rather be more entrenched and more involved in what's going on in their church than going down there to the bar. He wants to be where there's no spiritual truth being preached and where there's no spiritual life being declared. And when he can stop that, you better look out. The religious crowd, the religious crowd are the very ones who oppressed Christ. The religious crowds are the ones that attributed his works to the devil. Now they're the ones that accused him of being um, born out of wedlock. Now they're the ones that maligned him. They're the ones that slandered him. They're the ones that rose up and crucified him. 
the religious crowd. The devil's right at home amongst that crowd. Isn't that sad? But it's to this crowd that Jesus advances or brings the truth. It's to that crowd that Jesus comes to preach the word. Now listen, they've got the devil right under their nose and they didn't even know it. Did you know, ooh, did you know that in Revelation chapter 2, the Lord has John to write to the seven churches. And in chapter 2, verse 9, he's writing to the church at Smyrna. And he said, you tell them that I know where the synagogue of Satan is. Look it up. Y'all looking at me funny? Revelations 2, 9. I'm going to pull the book on you. Revelations 2, 9. Writing to the church at Smyrna. Smyrna means crushed. It means persecuted. In verse number 9, Revelations 2. I know thy works. Tribulation and poverty, parentheses, but thou art rich, close parentheses. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. He said if you profess yourself to be Christians and you're sitting right there in the church, when you're going, what are you going for? Hello? I hope you get saved. Now, I'm going to go back to Mark and I'm all close. The same adversary that Jesus had that day, we have as well. We wrestle against principalities and these, these powers. Look what the unclean spirit, I'm, I'm trying not to preach this, but just, I just keep going further. Verse 24, look what the unclean spirit said through the man. Let us alone. Whoa, wait a minute, whoa. Us, did you see the pronoun? He's one man. Us, let us alone. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But the Bible says in the book of Matthew, chapter twelve, that if a man has an unclean spirit in him, and the man he reforms, doesn't get saved, didn't repent, but he reforms, and I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to start doing better, and he kicks the devil out of his life, and that devil goes down the street to a cottage, and he says, "I'm going to go in right there into that into that person's life." But oh. They're praying. I think I'll go on down. And he goes to the next person. Says, oh, they're reading the word of God. I'm going to go to the next house. Ooh, they're praising God. Look at them. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. He says, you know what? I'm going to go back where I left and see how, and says that house is still empty, never been filled by the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says he takes seven more, more wicked than he was to start with and goes right back in that house. That has been done many a time. Is it that condition that we're talking about? Is he talking about all demons in general? Is he talking about there's more than one in that congregation? Let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Listen to their testimony. I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. There's no liberal demons. There's no atheist demons. There's no agnostic demons. Jesus has authority over demons. Mark chapter 9. Well, preacher Darren, I think we ought to do some casting out. Let me tell you, if the demons show up, I'll turn them over to you. You and Jesus can figure it out because I'm going to make a new exit. I believe that Jesus alone has power over demons. 
Mark chapter 9, verse 29. There's a demon, an unclean spirit, been cast out of a, a young man. And the disciples said, why could we not cast him out? Look at verse 29. This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Aha, preacher Darren, we can do it. Are you one of the 12 apostles? I don't think so. You've not seen a resurrected Christ in person. He didn't call you amongst the 12. May I just emphasize a little more? Be careful what you play with here. They was, I was told, Dr. Smith told me that in his church, a woman stood up about three quarters of the way back in the church and said something and sat down. And a lady behind them, I believe it was a lady or a man, one stood up, maybe there was a husband and wife there together, stood up and said, we are missionaries in Africa. We have just come home on furlough for the first time in over 20 years. We cannot believe in the tribal language where we serve what we've just heard. But this person just said that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God and the blood of Jesus is to no avail. Thank God some deacon didn't say, well, amen. Right? And the woman got down on all fours and went crawling out the door. You think it couldn't happen here? Some of you boys better be on red alert. Not just about what guns coming here and thieves coming here, but the greater one is the devil who would love to disrupt, he would love to defeat, and man, he'd really love to ruin our young people. I want to read one more verse of scripture. It's found in the book of Jude, and I'm done, I promise. The book of Jude. It's just got one chapter, okay, right before Revelations. Jude 1, verse 9. Look at this verse. Look at this verse. Preacher Darren, I can't believe that you wouldn't stand up and battle a demon. I'd fight him all day long. Honey, you go right ahead. I'll pray for you. My Bible says in Jude 1.9, y'all there say amen. amen. Yet Michael, the archangel, so in my opinion, he's got power. Do you agree? Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring, bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. And the devil's fighting about the body of Moses. Where's it at? Well, I want to, you know, you know. And Michael couldn't even say, get behind me, Satan. I hear, I hear people say, get behind me, Satan. You better not get him behind you. He'll jab slap you from behind, stab you in the back. You don't, you're, listen, you can't protect yourself from the back. I wouldn't trust that egg-sucking dog to be behind me for a New York minute. Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you. That's what we've got to get to. When we battle these things, I'm telling you, did you know there are demon, evil, wicked Hissing influences right now trying to attack your marriage, your children, your job, your church, your I'm telling you, if you had any idea. One time I drove up here, I remember, God said, I want you to count the cars. I counted all the cars I passed going the opposite way. God said, that's how many times a night the devil wanted to kill you, but I protected you and wouldn't let them cross that yellow line. 
and I, and I counted hundreds, hundreds and almost a thousand cars. The Lord predicted me, even greater still, how many things that we know not of? Because maybe some demon lurking. I mean, I, I, get out of here. You're not welcome here. The Lord rebuke you. They could be sitting in here right now. What's that church going to do? They're going to go through another one of them Wednesday night sermons. Dries dust. They'll show up because it's their duty. They're going to sleep through it. I'm telling you, you better pay attention. You don't know where he's lurking, but just like a snake, when you least expect it, he'll show right up. You stand to your feet. Father, thank you for the warning. Thank you for the word. Father, I think about Capernaum. I think about it being a strategic place. I think about that synagogue. Lord, Jesus knew that that man with the unclean spirit or spirits, I don't even know, were inside that man. And Jesus went to make the difference, to teach the word and to reach the lost. Father, help us to be faithful to do so. Help us, God, not just to treat this like it's coming to worship service or to Wednesday night prayer meeting, just like it's commonplace. Help us, God, I pray, to be keenly aware. Give us discernment of our surroundings. For this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.